0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Playoff upsets that we think could happen and how to win the FFPC Playoff Challenge. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas at Ben Gretsch. Probably newsletter at Substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all of his work over at Rotavis, and and you've been writing some fantastic work this week, Sean, about the FFPC Playoff Contest. Wrote up an initial piece that we talked about on the last show, covered every team, then wrote up a follow-up piece that is titled The Full FFPC Playoff Contest Blueprint. Uh, with insights from the game level, similarity projections, and passing matchup radar. If you've ever read one of Sean's pieces, this is only like a you know mid-level title length. It can get a lot longer. It could be a whole paragraph sometimes. That one has additional thoughts after your you know original piece, and kind of builds off it and crystallizes more thoughts on how to play the FFPC. and on all these different teams. I've been deep in the lab on it as well. We have been talking about it quite a bit, Sean, together and have a lot of thoughts there. The biggest thing that I am having a hard time with this season is every year it feels like the top teams are going to win, and it's hard to pick the upsets, but you know there's going to be some upsets, so you try to think through it. But I feel like every year you can talk yourself into things. And, I mean, you look at last year, one of the big things that I, I feel like the upsets were actually last season were were really pretty universally predicted. Um, the one big first round upset that people loved was the Niners going into Dallas and winning. That was a pretty close Vegas line. That was one that I know a lot of people played uh, in a lot of the playoff contests. They did go into into Dallas and win. The other big thing that I know we talked a little bit about as sort of a community was that green Bay and Tennessee were not strong one seeds and there was possibilities that they could get upset. The Bengals were a popular team that, Hey, if they can beat the Raiders in the first game, they'll probably be going to Tennessee. And that's, I mean, that's a winnable game for the Bengals. They could make a little bit of a run while Kansas city and Buffalo will have to play each other in the divisional round, as opposed to the conference championship. I don't know that San Francisco going into Green Bay when winning and winning was at as widely picked, but it was at least thought as possible. I think uh, the Rams winding up being the team that really benefits on the NFC and makes the long run. That's another one that I think was a little bit of a longer shot. But I think that you know the Niners winning as a six seed a couple of times wasn't out of the question. The Bengals going through this sort of weaker path that they could make with their you know fun fantasy team that had exploded late in the regular season that felt doable. And then it really, it played out very similarly to that, obviously. So when you try to sit there and think through, okay, how can we be wrong on this, you know, and who maybe are the weaker top seeds? You you sometimes land on some things. And um, like I said, I think the market, the things they were trying to land on as, as possible, the upsets they were trying to pick last year happened this year I don't think I'm the only one in saying this. It does not feel like there's a good case to be made in a lot of the cases against the top teams. I mean, for most of the season, we've had offense down. We've had a lot of these teams not look great, frankly. Kansas City, Buffalo, the Eagles kind of been the big three all year. In terms of the teams that, you know, you do think going into the playoffs are are playing well and are hot, I think there's two very clear teams. The Bengals have started to pass aggressively over the last month and a half, couple months, and have been – so much better off for it. They their offensive line gelled a little better. Burrow under a lot of duress in the first in you know, a month, month and a half, two months. And their passing game has just been, you know, fantastic. And they've looked really, really good. And you, you can certainly make a case for the Bengals as another team that can really make a run, but people are, are all over that. Obviously, the Niners are the other one. I don't think they've lost since the Christian McCaffrey trade, right? I mean, we don't know about Brock Purdy in a playoff setting, but everything else is there. They have so much skill position talent. They have a great defense. The NFC is not particularly strong. They're, they're the team like the Bengals kind of you can chart their path and go, well, they get Seattle at home. And then if Minnesota can beat the Giants, they get Minnesota, who everyone thinks is you know a fraud is the word that keeps getting used. Negative point differential this year. So the Niners, it feels like, OK, well, it, is that two cherry picked matchups and they're going to be in the conference championship with a good team? To me, it feels like you got the you got the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals on the AFC. You got the the Eagles and the Niners on the NFC. And it's really hard to make cases against a lot of that. I mean, I think you can make cases for one upset of some of those teams, but I think it would greatly favor the other top team in those conferences because there feels like such a big tier gap. Like if I think the Seahawks could probably beat the 49ers. But if they do, I'm just like, okay, well, I don't think the Seahawks are making a run. I just basically think the Eagles are locked in. I think you can make a case that maybe like – that's a tough one, but maybe the Ravens upset the – the Bengals or something, but then I just think, okay, the bills are going to stomp or or the the chiefs are going to stomp the Ravens or what have you. I mean, maybe the, maybe the dolphins, maybe Skylar Thompson really has a lucky game, but even in those scenarios, the, the dolphins without Tua, the Ravens without Lamar, those are not like live underdogs. Really. I mean, those would be massive upsets. We're talking before the show, a few years back, Minnesota went into new Orleans and upset the saints. I'm not sure the exact like Vegas line on that, but Pro Football Reference has some lines that are sometimes not always accurate. I think they have it listed at 7.5 points, and that felt like a huge first-round upset as a 7.5-point underdog. All three of the Niners, Bills, and, and Bengals opening round games are 9-plus points. You don't see playoff matchups that have 9-plus-point spreads. The other ones feel like toss-ups, the 4-5 games – you have the five seed in both conferences favored right now, the, the Chargers favored in Jacksonville, the the Cowboys favored uh, in Tampa. None of those teams feel great. The Chargers, that we just found out, are going to be without Mike Williams. Um, they were one that I was spitballing, hey, if they win, they maybe can go through Kansas City, and I think some other people certainly thinking that's possible. I'm having a really hard time finding – where these upsets are going to come from. Other than it's it's a lot like last year, the 6-3 matchup on the NFC side, people do like to pick the Giants over the Vikings. That's the one that feels like a true upset in the first round. But then what are the Giants are not going to make a run like the Niners did last year, are they? I mean, they're not going to go into Philadelphia and win. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around contrarian brackets, which can be such an important way to play these tournaments. And, And history tells us and tells me Whenever I feel this way, I end up being wrong, and there are upsets in the playoffs. NFL playoffs are typically wild, but Sean, I, I just can't get past this idea that we're going to wind up with a Super Bowl that has, you know, the Bills or the Bengals or the or the Chiefs on one side, and the Eagles or the Niners on the other, and it's going to finally be a year where the favorites hold.
2: Well, Ben, I completely agree, but it does make sense for us to work through. Some of these scenarios where it might seem something different i appreciate you mentioning the article obviously you guys are doing fantastic work over at ship chasing going through the strategy of these types of contests and also obviously a lot of individual player information one of the things that i love about playing with the game level similarity projections with the passing matchup reader, with our strength of schedule streamer is that they look at some of these questions of defensive strength and matchup from different angles and so they don't always come up with the same answer. And I definitely feel like that's a feature and not a bug. One of the things that's cool then though, is that sometimes they will come up with the same answer and it will push you a little bit more strongly in the direction of a certain play. But I, I like to see the differences. I like to see the insights. And you know, some of those will be in the article. Some of those we'll talk about on the show. But one of the things that does jump out to me as you go through it, is that I guess there, there still is a gap between the NFC teams and how powerful they are versus this (laughs) trio of star teams in the AFC. And also I think the NFC underdogs are a little bit more interesting because so much of the AFC side is injured. And so you look at these teams on the NFC side, what could we have happen as you were discussing that I'm thinking about paths and how it would change the bracketing if we got both the 49ers upset and Vikings upset if you had the two and the three teams both go out you know that throws things into chaos I don't think either of those things are going to happen certainly not the 49 ers side but but how might they and the first thing that jumps out is just this play that we did mention in the last show but it continues to stick with me that Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins are very very interesting I went into Hodgins in a little more detail last time today I want to mention that I mean Richie James has a great Gillespie projection he's somebody who from weeks 12 to 17, he drew targets at a better per route rate than Diggs, Evans, McLaurin, Lockett, Higgins. I mean, some big names there, right? He's an underneath threat, but he did average 8.3 yards per target. Gillespie gives him an enthusiastic projection against this Minnesota pass defense that's giving up the second most yards per game. And they're also tied for the second most yards per cover snap. So when you look at Minnesota, you mentioned that they have these weaknesses. People think that they're a fraud. I... It's just that little bit of a contrarian streak, but I kind of like the Vikings and it makes me want to stick up for them a little bit. I mean, they have a win over the bills. They have a lot of good wins. Sometimes a coach will make the decision in a game that gets out of hand a little bit to not risk getting your players hurt and to kind of go with the blow out there, relinquish the loss. Now it doesn't say that the Vikings point differential isn't meaningful and that they aren't a weak three seed. They are. But when you have some of those weapons on the offensive side, it's fun. And it creates a fun game here. And One of the things that we have seen along with this emergence from Hodgins and James is that Daniel Jones has played well. And that kind of brings me back to this point where Jones can be, you know, a very poor man's Josh Allen. And he has Brian Dable. The Giants here become an interesting team because you have this emerging passing game where the whole season they've gone through until this last month. And they have had absolutely nothing. Now you have those two guys. You still have Darius Slayton, who gives you a little bit of a vertical threat as well. You have Saquon Barkley. I mean, not emerging or bouncing back, but he is a big weapon and a weapon who has performed reasonably well down the stretch. You have multiple ways that you can attack on offense. And Dable gives them this coaching advantage, not necessarily against O'Connell and the Vikings. And one of the reasons why the Vikings have been able to make it through as a fraud team, is that they are getting good coaching in situational situations. But if you can win that game and you move forward, I I just like the possibility of some of these upsets if you can believe in the coach. And so that part of it, I think, is very promising for them. If they are able to limit Jefferson at all, which, again, would unlock T.J. Hawkinson, you have this Hawkinson-Barkley play that's a fun play together, they could move on. And then you sort of pair that where you you don't have to, but you think about what can we get from your Seattle Seahawks? And then even though they played well, they've made the playoffs, I don't get the impression that you are necessarily wanting to take them on as your team yet. But DK Metcalf, someone else who has an interesting matchup here. It's neutral in the streamer. Gillespie likes him. The passing matchup Raider actually likes them substantially over Tyler Lockett, which is also interesting because, you know, we're not 100% sure that that Lockett is full strength. I mean, obviously he's going to play and, and hopefully play well. The 49ers have not been as locked down against receivers recently as the mystique of this defense might indicate, right? They've given up the sixth most fantasy points to receivers over the last five weeks, And the flip side of that is that the Seahawks lock people down at the receiver position. The two very worst passing matchup Raider ratings of the weekend are for Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. Now the Seahawks aren't going to be as good against tight ends, but you have a game here where you have an unproven rookie quarterback. Say unproven, he's been very good. But you have a rookie quarterback who wasn't an elite pick, didn't get to play the full season to get all of that experience. And even if those things were true about him, you'd still have questions as they go into this game. And now he's going to face a defense that has been pretty good at stopping these receivers. If you suddenly get Samuel and Ayuk taken away, if you have to go through a McCaffrey, if you have to go through a kill, well, you're still, that's kind of an embarrassment of riches compared to what a lot of teams have. We just mentioned what the Giants have. But they could be put under a little bit of pressure. All you have to do is think back to the game a couple of weeks ago where a very poor Raiders team (laughs) with a QB making his first start put the 49ers under pressure. This is a game where if Geno Smith plays well and is able to get some connections with DK Metcalf. And on the other side, the Seahawks defense gives Purdy some trouble early. The 49ers could be in a game and even a game, maybe they trail deeper into it than they're expecting. And then the pressure on the young QB starts to build.
1: I think that's, interesting. It would be more interesting if we just got our
2: Lions shot. I mean, how much more fun would it be to be talking about the Lions doing that? I mean, I talk about the positive things about the Seahawks, and yet, I mean, they had to get bailed out to defeat a Baker Mayfield-led Rams team just last week, so and, it's and not like this been, is a powerhouse that we're expecting to go beat the 49ers.
1: Exactly. They've been substantially worse, frankly, over the second part of the season since their bye. I mean, you look at their results in, you know, since that bye, they... And really, they lost to the Bucs right before it uh, down in Tampa. And the Bucs aren't particularly good, but what have you. Starting in, in Week 12, they lose at home to the Raiders in overtime. They win at the Rams by four. Lose at home to the Panthers. They did lose at home to the Niners in this stretch. They lost at, at the Chiefs. Obviously, those are you know more forgivable losses, if you will. They beat the Jets somewhat confidently in Week 17 at home. That was a game Mike White came back for, but very clearly was not healthy. Just could not complete anything and ended up getting then deactivated again for week 18. And then they beat the Rams in overtime. They beat the Rams by a combined seven points in those two matchups. One of them takes overtime and they only win three of those seven games and, and, and three of their final eight down the stretch. They had a really nice start to the year. Geno Smith, great story all year. And, and still, I think uh, a lot of the you know early season excitement carried through to the end of the year, but, just a little bit less exciting coming down the stretch. And like we said, you know, took, it, it took some help. They, it, they required some help from the referees to beat the Rams that second time. They required the Lions to win in Green Bay than to get them even into the playoffs, obviously, because of this, you know, losing streak. There was a point where they looked pretty confidently like they might be a wildcard team this year. I hear some of your points on the matchup stuff. Crazier things have happened. Having watched the Seahawks over the years, I mean they they're not a team that overperforms in the playoffs. They tend to come into the playoffs and I mean I think they can be competitive because they'll play a certain type of football, but um, like just like a you know, the way we were talking about the Falcons on the last show, like a a, a closer loss, you know a safe face kind of loss. You go look at the Seahawks history, you know, over the last several years in the early parts of the playoffs, they have not made deep playoff runs since their back-to-back Super Bowls. And the vast majority of them, they got off to slow starts in the playoffs. Like the type of stuff that you feel like is kind of a coaching thing. And, you know, some of the Pete Carroll interviews this week, you know, he's been in good spirits. He's been saying, you know, we're loose around here. I, I mean, that's something that the players, I think, have always liked about Pete Carroll and and something that works well over the course of a full season. Some of these other coaches know how to kind of tighten it up and be like, "Hey, we're in playoff time. Let's get serious," but in a way that is not like, "Hey, we're going to get you know put, put pressure on ourselves." But we gotta we gotta tighten things up. I feel like Carol. I feel like Carol takes things a little bit too loosely almost, and it hasn't translated in the playoffs. They've, they've had some games where they fall behind. I mean, one that sticks out is a several years ago, but they were in Carolina for an early playoff game and fell behind massively early. And then Russ had a great second half and got them back into that game, but they just were there to have 20-plus points in the first half and weren't able to come all the way back. They did have a win in Minnesota a few years ago that was a really low-scoring game because they weren't – neither team really showed up. And, I mean, there was like a, a late missed short field goal uh, on Minnesota's side. I mean, there's, they, they have not – been a team historically that that comes to play in the playoffs. Maybe that's different now. Maybe that's more of a rust thing. I have obviously not had the Seahawks pegged particularly well over the course of, uh, you know, a lot of years. But I hear everything you're saying, Sean, and I I do think the Seahawks could probably do some things well here. It's just not like – you talked about good coaching, right? And I, I liked the case that you made with Brian Dable, and I think that he can go into Minnesota and win because he can do – the little things and have his team focused on stacking all the little ways that you can gain little edges, right. And win probability and making smart decisions and having good, you know, third down calls and good red zone calls. And your, you know, things that you really practice and tightened up. um, So you can be efficient in those really high leverage plays throughout the course of a game, have everyone really focused on the things that you need to have them focused on, which I think is an underrated part of, you know, playoff football, why good coaches win. It's that they they understand all you know. It's all about details. I don't I don't see it with Pete Carroll this week. I I do think Dable can do it, and that would be interesting. And if I mean, I, I, the way you described it is possible. If the Seahawks can win because you know Purdy kind of feels some of the pressure and some of those things, I mean, it could be something where San Fran has some struggles on their end. Cal Shanahan, not a perfect playoff coach in his own right, then like you said, it can it can change the bracket around, right? Then Seattle goes to Philadelphia as the seven seed. Then you have the giants traveling to the winner of the Dallas Tampa game, who would suddenly have a home game in the next round. I mean, so that would really shake things up. Probably in that scenario, I would be picking one of Tampa or Dallas, assuming one of those teams looks good on Monday night in winning. Both those teams are, they feel like teams that could look good or bad, you know, assuming one of them looks good and Dallas right now is slightly favored, assuming let's say Dallas goes and looks good. They're coming home to play the giants. They're probably going to win that. Or you, you think Then it comes down to the NFC championship. They're going into Philly. I think you can also make a case for Dallas, even if San Francisco does win being good enough defensively and having enough upside defensively to, to have the potential to go into San Fran and beat a rookie quarterback. And so same, same sort of deal where they would wind up in the conference championship in Philadelphia, It's really hard. I mean, I I can see that. It's really hard for me. I can probably see it with the Bucs too. Really hard for me though, to see either the Cowboys or the Bucs in their current form winning, you know, in San Fran and then winning in Philly, or even if we, what we just described happens, where they get the Giants at home and are able to win that. Still going into Philly in a conference championship, is Dallas or Tampa Bay good enough to win that game? Crazy things can happen. Maybe it's like the Rams at this time last year. I feel like the Rams at this time last year were better. They had Cooper Cup having a historic offensive season, and and you can envision him playing at a level that, like, if the Vikings are to make a run, you you think Justin Jefferson has to play at that and really carry the offense. And I can see that offensively for the Vikings. The Rams had on defenses, they also had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, and they had a pretty good defense. They had that fantastic defense going into, the Vikings had the Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup thing on the offensive side. Like, this wide receiver could really take over some games. Their defense can't carry the weight that the Rams, I mean, the Rams were a better team than, Maybe the Cowboys have that on the defensive side. And if CeeDee Lamb can really, and and Tony Pollard, they have some playmakers and Dak really plays well. You can kind of see it with the Cowboys. I just, especially because they have to open on the road here in in week one, I have a hard time seeing them winning that and then going to the Niners and to Philly. And again, part of the reason the Rams were able to do it last year was the Niners went to Green Bay and won. And then the Rams got to host the NFC Championship Packers last year a weaker one seed, in my opinion. And I thought we I think we thought that at the time going in than the Eagles this year. A lot harder for me to see a team going into Philly and beating them and setting up like Dallas with that, you know, kind of surprise NFC championship home game, which which could happen. But again, I I feel kind of like a donkey. I feel like I'm just, you know, ah, yeah, all the favorites are gonna win, which is you know, so I I spent a lot of time trying to think about this because it it plays into how are you gonna manage. Playoff contests. How are you going to manage? People are in playoff pools. I've gotten sent stuff. You know, people have brackets. They want want help with. My, I'm like, I'm picking all the favorites this year. You know, you can pick the fives over the fours. You can pick the Giants over the Vikings if you want. That two three matchup of the Bengals and the Bills in the second round feels like a toss up. But I mean, if I'm filling out a bracket, I'm going one two one two on both sides, and probably I'm picking the Chiefs in the and the Eagles
2: in the in the Super Bowl, which. Everyone's picking. (laughs) Well, you can still win if it turns out that that's what happens. I think that on the Dallas side, maybe especially, but also the case for Vikings and Buccaneers, is that they're almost separate questions. I think the fact that those teams don't look like Super Bowl teams also can sometimes get us off of them as one win or one upset types of teams, which would in its own way then still have a potentially significant impact on the bracket. You mentioned last year's Rams team several times. And I think a a great example of, you know, what a Super Bowl champion is and what an upset pick would look like, where you have a similar Rams team, certainly not one-to-one players across the 53-man roster, but a similar Rams team in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And the difference for this team is that you have an unlocked Cooper Cup and you have a Matthew Stafford, who is a significant upgrade, probably. I mean, Jerry Goff has done some things now this season to make an argument for himself again. But you have Matthew Stafford as this big upgrade. So the idea that they could go and win and be this power team, that part not surprising. I think that that's different than what you see with the Vikings and the Cowboys. I don't think that those are legitimate Super Bowl contenders, but they're interesting teams from a playoff contest perspective because they're definitely one win or one big upset types of teams and for the vikings if they win in the first round that's the one that is almost you're not taking it for granted one of the reasons why that vikings 49ers game is not being looked at that closely is because so many people have them going out to the giants including potentially us but if you do make it through the thing about the vikings that is so interesting is that you have a Justin Jefferson. So you talk about that Vikings team with the upset several years ago that was a big upset? I mean, that's a team where Adam Thielen, more at his peak, and Stephon Diggs, you have serious weapons and a quarterback who can sling it. I mean, that's the problem that you have for the Ravens and the, Dol- and the Dolphins right now. They, just, they have no real path. They don't have the quarterback. Kirk Cousins is inaccurate. He has a weak arm. He is a mistake machine, but he can go through stretches with the players he has with him where he can light you up. And if you're talking about that stretch, like when would that stretch manifest? How would it matter if they sneak out the game against the Giants? Then you go against this 49ers team that, again, maybe hasn't been as strong with the past defense as they have been on some other things. And you still have Brock Purdy. I, I think the reason we're not really focusing on that is that it still feels like a terrible matchup for the Vikings because you feel like the 49ers could just hand off every play with the types of run design that Kyle Shanahan has, and they could score 50 without even having to pass it. So that specifically doesn't seem like the Vikings upset, whereas if the Vikings actually had the Eagles, I think that would be a fun one to pick, even though it's unlikely. But there's a, a real scenario where that happens. Unfortunately, there's there's no way to get there unless they do go through the 49ers. Or the, the Seahawks win, like you said. I mean, if the Seahawks are able to beat
1: the Niners, then the Vikings got to get back to back home matchups and end up playing the Eagles in the conference championship. That's probably the Vikings path, right? They want to be playing. They want the two seed to get beat in the first round and be playing a home game in the divisional round. And then they just have to win the one road game in, in Philly and
2: who knows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That that would be pretty cool. I, I just want to see Justin Jefferson play as long as possible is <laughs> more or less where I'm coming from there. It's such an amazing and, and fun player. You think about that dallas team and i mentioned on the previous show that dallas is actually terrible and so are the buccaneers And they're not very fun ways to play it and then i found that like in my next 10 underdog drafts that i was more or less forced to take the cowboys because that's where the value was and those are where the stars are when you have cd lamb at a price you have tony pollard at a price you have ezekiel elliott following to the end of drafts because people are not excited by him (laughs) and yet i mean could ezekiel elliott score Three one yard touchdowns in some of these games and help you advance in different playoff formats. Obviously, he could. And so it, I, I felt bad about saying that on the show and then going to draft a bunch of Cowboys because that's, I mean, that's not how we play it. When we tell people how we're going to play these tournaments, that element of it reinforced again to me how valuable it is to actually play contests because it does give you some insights that you don't have if you're not thinking about it from that perspective. But my biggest problem with the Cowboys is that the defensive portion of it has somewhat unraveled. the last month i don't think that you have this power defense that's going to carry you now again in a one game environment can you create that upset with some big plays you definitely can and i mean dak prescott the the difference between cousins and prescott and those quarterbacks on the afc side and even jalen hurts who i think is still a lot more unproven is that the chances of those players those quarterbacks Having these massive collapse games of you completely stepping on a landmine with them, fairly minimal. They're just, number one, their top end is so extremely high, but they don't have the down performances that we saw from Dak Prescott just last week in this loss to the Commanders. The performance he had to start the season that really got the Cowboys off to the bad start. But with CeeDee Lamb and Tony Pollard and Dak Prescott, who is a high upside QB, can you go, you know, could you beat the Philadelphia Eagles? I mean, you just have to beat it once, right? It's not like you have to actually be the better team. So I think on this NFC side, there are some interesting things that can happen. And even a terrible Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. When you have Tom Brady and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, I mean, can you go? And then you're going to throw 50 times. So if you're going to throw 50 times and those two guys are out there, you know, can you go through some stretches where you score points even against good defenses, even maybe for trailing and you have to score a lot? That can happen. And so on the NFC side, there are ways to play it. I think we're probably overconfident in the Eagles and the 49ers. The Eagles have been such a fun team. They have so many weapons. Hertz can do uh, the value that he has as the mobile quarterback with the excellent coaching and play calling that they have that really maximize his strengths. And then with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. It would be unfortunate for the NFL if they don't go to the Super Bowl because a Super Bowl with them against one of the three AFC powers, that would be a game you know we could be talking about 10, 15 years from now. I think that's what you want to see as a fan, but we're not as guaranteed to get it probably as it feels like.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Yeah, I think you make good cases on the NFC side, for sure. I can certainly see, you know, as you talked through, maybe Dallas going into Philly and winning. I can certainly see that as possible, just with the talent that Dallas has. It also feels like something that, because there are so many limited paths that we can argue for here from, you know, teams making these runs. And a big part of that is, we we just mentioned, I mean, Miami and, and Baltimore just don't have the quarterbacks to do it. I mean, these are not teams that, are, are particularly when you consider their first-round matchup is, I mean, they have talent, but their first-round matchup is against top five teams in, in the whole tournament, in the whole NFL. Going into Buffalo, going into Cincinnati, that's tough. I mean, I think the Ravens can compete a little bit with the Bengals, potentially. Just, you know, AFC North foes, it's possible, what have you. The Dolphins have had some pretty good defensive schemes on the Bills, forced them to really matriculate the ball down the field and their matchups this year or at least in the in the first one they were able to win down in Miami making Josh Allen really move the ball slowly and i think he threw like 60 plus passes in that game but i, I mean those teams feel so uncompetitive in those games that you know you, you don't have really stories that can be told there it limits the amount of options and when you're playing these contests then it it, it it's almost like the Dallas run it gets overplayed to the possibility that the, in all likelihood, they're going to have to win three straight road games. That feels real tough to do. I mean, even if the giants upset the Vikings, they're going on the road unless, unless the Seahawks also upset the Niners. I just don't think this Dallas team is probably good enough to win three straight road games relative to the, the, the to the degree that it's getting played in these tournaments. Same with the box. I mean, obviously Tom Brady, you never want to count him out, but, the Bucks have just not been as good of a team this year. And they could turn it on, yes, but doesn't seem as likely. On the AFC side, Sean, I briefly mentioned, I was in on the Chargers as a possible team. If they can go into Jacksonville and win, and that's maybe not going to be a super – I think it's going to be a, a, a good game. Like It's not going to be an easy win for the Chargers or anything. But if they were able to win that, That's a team I could see going to Kansas City and pulling a pretty big upset if Justin Herbert plays to a certain level. They played them really competitively over the last couple of years in this Herbert Mahomes era. They won in Arrowhead in the regular season in 2021. Not this year, but but last year. But now without Mike Williams, that feels like a really tough hill to climb for them. They haven't been – I mean, they haven't been as good this year. They haven't been as healthy this year. They don't have – Obviously, Rashawn Slater and some of the the elements that have been key pieces, not just in their skill position and in our fantasy mind, but that's their left tackle who's been out, you know, most of the year. You made a good case before the show that if the Jaguars can win, maybe they can go to Kansas City and win. And that's you know, you're a big Chiefs fan. You're trying to think through it creatively. I have had a hard time envisioning the Jaguars going there, but as we talked about teams that. Get hot at the right time and those types of things. Trevor Lawrence has played good football these last couple of months. Last year, we saw from Joe Burrow really taking that step forward. Could we see Trevor Lawrence's coming out party this playoffs? Could he win against the Chargers team that now I got to feel like, with all this stuff being said, they should have rested their starters last week. I, I got to feel like that whole locker room is going to be a little bit bummed after this. You know, late week report that we got from Adam Schefter here on Friday that Mike Mike Williams actually has a fracture in his back. And unless they make a Super Bowl run, it's probably not going to be coming back for any of this playoffs. And they didn't need to play him last week. A guy who's had a ton of injury issues. It's just a really, really difficult to understand decision by Brandon Staley to have Mike. Even if you want to get your starter some, some reps, Mike Williams is just like a no-brainer. You should not have been playing him. The guy plays way too hard every time he's on the field to be using him <laughs> In a meaningless game, he jumps out of the gym and then lands hard and always seems to be, you know, and not because he's, you know, a wimp, but because he seems to always land really hard because he's making all these acrobatic plays. I just would not have had him in that game. That is a a big surprise and then it ends up costing them. But if they are not as excited, you know, up for a playoff game, because that's just a kind of a disappointing thing in a locker room If the Jags can win that game, they'll in all likelihood head to Kansas City.
2: Can Jacksonville really go into Arrowhead and make the Chiefs a one-and-done this year? They can. I mean, the Chargers played two close games with them. The Chiefs have struggled to put inferior teams away. One of the things when we think about just the various scenarios, you have to give that, I mean, something that's a 10 or 15% chance. I mean, there are a lot of scenarios in which that actually plays out, and that's one of the things that uh, elite DFS minds and, the players who win these types of tournaments understand is that those percentages can be the ones that deliver you the big tournament. We want to think about that on the team level as well. The other thing you and I talked about is that we kind of like the under in this game, the Jaguars aren't under the radar solid defensive matchup to where you don't necessarily expect even before now the injury problems that you've talked about. You don't necessarily expect the chargers to go out there and light them up. Now this becomes so concentrated in, Keenan Allen on absolute fire. I mean he makes for an interesting play, but the overall offensive context for this game, I don't think is that particularly high scoring. even something like the the previous week where if you see the Jaguars look better against the Titans it's going to give you more confidence as you go into the playoffs here. I do think that a situation with Kansas City would be so much different. Because in that game with the Titans, they're heavy favorites. If they don't win with Joshua Tobbs as the QB, then you've had this epic choke. Whereas you go into Arrowhead and you're playing with House Money, you can do whatever you want. You're going to see, I think, not actually the best version of Trevor Lawrence, but an interesting, fun version of him. And one of the things that you find when you go through the Stealing Signals tool and you break down, like, you know, what routes are these guys running, who's being targeted when, a continually sort of revolving door in terms of who's the focal point between Christian Kirk zay jones evan ingram obviously kirk for the full season has kind of been the guy he was the guy again in the most recent contest you have that target volume that is enough if you can hit on some touchdowns ingram and zay jones both had these huge stretches during key parts of the fantasy playoffs so a lot of fantasy managers will have them front of mind because of the leverage that they created and how instrumental they were to determining fantasy titles you have three interesting guys and then you have an elite running back at least from an explosiveness perspective that big play element that travis Etienne gives you if you're going to go and defeat the kansas city chiefs you're going to have to make some big plays trevor lawrence is going to have to make some big throws we know that one of the things that he has done this year is that he has thrown early and he has given these guys a chance to go make plays as a result of that when you're trevor lawrence and you're reading the defense correctly you're releasing that ball fast you have the big arm you can attack down the field There are so many things that offense can do when it's firing on all cylinders that I think they can threaten the Chiefs with it. One of the problems that we have from a fantasy perspective, though, is that you've got different matchups in the Chargers game and the Chiefs game, almost these conflicting matchups where you would expect different players to be the ones who come through. I think that part of it makes it tricky to depend on them or to look at them from a fantasy perspective it's a real long shot to have enough concentration with the right guy for multiple weeks if they get into the third week of the season if they're into the afc championship game then suddenly the total points that these guys are scoring are going to really influence a wide variety of tournaments you could argue that they have been undervalued relative to the chargers now for multiple weeks in a you know, a large variety of playoff formats.
1: Yeah, I like that. And and when you first brought this up to me before we came on the show, I was like, they can't go into Kansas City and win because of the way Doug Peterson coached that team last week. Must win game against the Titans. uh, Settling for field goals twice, down six points to cut it to three. In fourth and manageable situations, You know, inside the 25, they had a fourth and seven at the 23 and kicked a field goal, then a fourth and three at the 18 into the fourth quarter, kicked a field goal just to cut it to three in a six point game. You need a touchdown there, right? They still are able to come out and win um, because they get a a fumble recovery for a (coughs) TD. Or that wouldn't be the only reason that they won, but it would be the, you know, the way that they ultimately took the lead and, and won the game. And you made a really good point to me that I actually do agree with that you you were like, yeah, maybe it's just a little bit of this thing where, you know, there's some pressure on them at home as the favorites in this spot and not really wanting to mess it up where they get a little conservative and the difference in feel there of that between being a pretty huge underdog that everyone's counting you out in that Kansas City game. Doug Peterson's played that role. Well, obviously we know the Super Bowl win while he was with the Eagles over the Patriots. He did coach the game in an aggressive way when he was sort of the underdog. That no one really thought that with Nick Foles they could go and beat the beat the Patriots. But you know the Philly special and, and some other decisions in that game a little bit more aggressive. I think that's a pretty fair point. Last week, not encouraging for the Jaguars. Not necessarily the exact way that they would operate in a situation where they had to go into Kansas City and try to win. You know, as massive underdogs, maybe they would be a lot more aggressive in that situation and. They'd have to be, because you're not beating Patrick Mahomes making those types of decisions, settling for field goals on fourth and three at the Chiefs' 18, you know, when you're the Jaguars traveling into into Arrowhead. You're not winning that game if you do that. If they do get through Kansas City somehow, in all likelihood, then they have to travel to either Buffalo or Cincinnati. And this is, again, I keep getting back to this thing where it's like, I I can kind of see that, that one upset, like you were talking about on the NFC side, really hard for me to see the Jaguars going through two upsets. The Bengals did it last year. The Bengals also did it because their first one was in Tennessee. And really their only big one was in Kansas city. And man, that was a wild game, right? Kansas city had the lead. The the Bengals came back. That's the kind of thing that can happen in a one game sample. It can happen in a two game sample. I do still feel Sean, like we're going to have the type of year where we have some of these chalky teams Pushing towards the final, which means you really have to think through how you want to play stuff. And the the contest, I think, that offers so much intrigue, then, even if you think it's going to be chalky, is the FFPC one, where you don't have the advanced, week, week-to-week week advance elements. The constraint here is you can only play one player from each team. So even if, if you're playing the Bills to the Super Bowl, it's probably Josh Allen in your lineup, right? And he's going to be the most popular quarterback in this tournament. If you're playing the Chiefs to win even one game, you're probably putting Travis Kelsey in your in your lineup because he's going to be the tight end, right? I mean, he's just, there's a, a lot of other good tight ends in this in this tournament that I think there are ways to get off of Kelsey. Um, Justin Jefferson is going to be one of the most popular plays in this because that Giants and Vikings game has a high total. Even if the Vikings get upset, you feel like Justin Jefferson is going to have a strong game. Uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey is going to have a really high ownership percentage in this. So you there's going to be elements where if you're picking the chalky players, if you pick the you know the Eagles to win, it's probably A.J. Brown over multiple games. You could play Devonta Smith. You could play Dallas Goddard. Um, you could play Jalen Hurts if you're picking them to the Super Bowl and you're not picking the Bills to the Super Bowl. He, he could be the quarterback instead of Josh Allen. There are limited numbers of ways to play some of those teams, though, is what I would argue. But because of the way this contest plays out and what we talked about in the last show where you have multiple teams that are going to play one game and lose in the first round where you have to have a player from one from, from these teams that go out early because you can only put one player from each team to fill a 12-roster spot lineup, you can really hit home runs in those early rounds and how you manage those. And, and there's various ways you can play that. Or, Sean, as we said, just picking these one-upsets. You know, picking – the Giants to win one game dramatically would change how your willingness to put Saquon Barkley in your lineup. He's going to be a popular player regardless as well, even if the Giants were to lose. But if they win, I mean, it's in all likelihood going to be Saquon Barkley as the play for the Giants in this type of contest. We've been talking through it, John, you mentioned uh, earlier in this show and in our last show, you know, for the Giants, you can consider Richie James or Isaiah Hodgins as sort of these pivots. You're kind of playing the Giants to lose in that scenario, but, Barkley's a, the, the kind of traditional type of running back. Hasn't caught a ton of passes where if they do lose in the first round, pretty easy to see that running back not score a ton of points. In past years, the, the best corollary for me in this tournament has always been the Titans. Derrick Henry always really heavily played in this contest, but he's the type of player without much receiving value that if they lose in a one and done, you know, you could pivot to A.J. Brown. And, and I, I think not just la- – definitely last year, but not just last year. I think for the last couple of years. Henry's been the overwhelming chalk, and A.J. Brown was the correct play for the Titans. So you have to think through those layers. It's a little tougher with Eckler if you're picking the Chargers to lose because he's not – I mean, he can still catch 15 passes in a loss. It's a little tougher um, to envision some of the really good players who don't have quarterbacks. You know, I I keep wanting to play Tyreek Hill in some of these lineups because you know that there's going to be a one-and-done team in a lineup. And he has had such a monster receiving workload, but can Skylar Thompson
2: get him to a big enough game? I just have a, a quick note on that too, where I I also really want to play Hill, whether it's a last round pick in underdog, to get you that first round advance, which I think people may be in some cases undervaluing. Or in this, like you said, if Tyreek Hill is the highest scoring player who's eliminated, then suddenly you have a ton of other lineups covered. But Skyler Thompson at he hasn't played enough that we know for sure who he is. And he could take a jump this week with, you know, more time to repair and just a little bit more of that preparation and that practice that gets you ready to go. I mean, these third string quarterbacks, especially, I mean, you mentioned that on our first show that Sam Howell is not getting to practice with those Washington starters and what he did is more impressive in that light. I mean, could Thompson take the next step? Maybe, but I mean, just kind of some fun advanced stats, whether or not you believe they mean anything, his, catchable percentage, 13 points lower than Tua. He's at 69%. Tua was 82, right? Throwing all of these just beautiful catchable passes. Anybody who's watched the Dolphins or just kind of watched their fantasy numbers roll up like a video game, that doesn't surprise them. But that catchable percentage is within the context of the fact that the depth of target drops from 9.2 with Tua to 6.8 with Thompson. The other part there is just I mean, you are immediately taking away some upside for both of those players to break the kind of big plays that you would need to have that one week score. That's a differentiating score when you're talking about it really being an entirely different passing game. Right. And so, I mean, thinking through that, thinking through,
1: you know, can Mark Andrews do it uh, with what, who is it? Probably going to be Anthony Brown starting for the Ravens. Um that is the part of this contest that I, I think is going to be really interesting. Which of those games, being willing to pick a winner in some of the toss-up games and make the decision on like a Saquon or uh, a Tony Pollard, maybe you're you're picking the Cowboys to to get a win and maybe get a, you know an upset in the second round. CeeDee Lamb feels like the overwhelming top play for the Cowboys, but if the Cowboys were to win two games in some of those scenarios we were talking about where they get to the conference championship – you talked about Zeke in, in in an underdog format. It can maybe even be him, but um, you know I'd be more comfortable playing Pollard to to have helped them win those games with some of his patented long touchdowns. And I mean, typically if they're winning multiple games, obviously number one they're scoring points, but you're expecting their best players to be making plays. Pollard is a guy that I think you could play in in the FFPC format at a probably a really low rate of of rosters that he's in. That's the part of this contest that I think is really interesting. Even if you want to play it as sort of chalky toward the toward the back end, even if you only think there are those five teams that can really compete, you can also still play it as you know, an interesting combination at the end, say the Bengals. You know, I think the Bengals are probably going to be underplayed to beat the Bills and go all the way to the Super Bowl, but I think the Bengals can make that run. You can play a Joe Burrow lineup, right, against the Eagles and have AJ Brown on the other side and then work back where what are you going to do with the Chiefs and the Bills as a result outside of those top teams? Also, what are you going to do in those early rounds? Who's going to make it an upset? Maybe in that scenario where you're picking the Bengals to go all the way, you are picking the Jaguars to go into Kansas city and win. Maybe then you fade Travis Kelsey. I mean, maybe that's a scenario where you're feeling like a juju lineup or a Jerick McKinnon lineup or something. I mean, that's what I think is going to win in this FFC FFPC playoff contest. It doesn't make it so that you can't be contrarian. It doesn't make it so that everyone's going to have the same lineup. There are too many roster spots, but you also, you know, you don't have to pick upsets. I don't think to still play this contest uniquely. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's sort of my advice on it is to be willing to admit that this feels like a a year that, the top seeds are going to advance for a reason. I, I've given it a lot of thought. I think that's what we're going to see, Sean. I'll be surprised if we don't. Obviously, it's possible. I, I'm a probabilistic thinker. It's probably more possible than I think it is. But I still think it's definitely over 50% likelihood and, and potentially solidly over 50% that we're going to see from that basically that group of five teams with maybe the Cowboys as a sixth team. Two of them in the Super Bowl. Um, You don't have to, you know, play it too crazy to to try to
2: leverage that if that's what you think is the case. And there are some lineups like Allen Kelsey McCaffrey that give you a large variety of actual scenarios in terms of who wins and how the points develop that that would give you the base to handle different actual reality outcomes. That's nice. The four players that I think become so interesting kind of at the bottom of your roster that we've talked about today would be Hill, even with that quarterback situation, Christian Kirk, DK Metcalf, and then one of the Giants receivers. So those are the guys where, as you're trying to think through what's going to happen in wildcard weekend and how could it determine the overall contest for you? I think those are the rev- relevant players in terms of building in some uniqueness into your lineup the other three guys that i think are really interesting because they could all be eliminated but they project to score so many points gillespie loves them the passing matchup raider gives chris godwin the number one matchup jefferson and lamb very good matchups and it's not the case that all the wide receivers have good matchups but those three guys really serious upside and players you're probably going to want in a decent number of lineups and One of the counter arguments to be, Sean, I mean, that's the first weekend that you're looking at. There are other games that are going to be played here. Those aren't the only matchups. But one of the things about this, Ben, is just that first game, that first round, is going to determine so much of the foundation for it, especially on the teams that are eliminated. If the Giants eliminate the Vikings, then that Jefferson versus Hawkinson call will determine so much for you. Obviously, Godwin could go out. Obviously, Liam could go out. I mean, one of those two players is going to definitely go out. And so how you play that and the running backs, you play off of them. Like you mentioned, Tony Pollard, the other one there with a jerk McKinnon, despite the depth at running back, because you prefer to have a situation like Henry, where if you pick them to lose, you can fade him. And then you have a little bit of a contrarian play. I don't think that we have as much of that this season because those top running backs are so flexible in the passing game. Obviously, one of the reasons that makes them the superstars, but then also in most of the lineups that i'm looking at you'd almost prefer to play a running back but then have the opposite game result happen and so you have to kind of think through well if i play it but then does my overall scenario work in terms of who i'm picking with these teams to go forward i think the running backs and we don't have time to get you know deep into the weeds on that but it is something you want to look at is how those running backs would work and are you picking them in games they would win or games that they would lose that part as you try and build out the overall roster And then include those wide receivers with just such extreme upside it's a great contest you and i have had a a blast chatting about it with each other obviously the the wider world doing the same thing you guys doing great content on it on ship chasing i'm gonna have a bunch of lineups with various members of the the ot crew and and obviously colin kelly over there then i i can't wait for this season i think in part because we do have these five powerhouse teams that I mean, this year's reality playoffs. I mean, they could be among the best ever. It could be really, really fun. I agree. Um, my last
1: note as you were talking through that. You made like the Godwin Lamb point. I think uh, when you, when you're thinking about ways to make sort of unique lineups, what a lot of people are going to do is say, "Well, I can just put Godwin and Lamb in my lineup, and I don't really have to pick that winner. Whoever wins, I mean, either of those receivers is probably the best pick." in a loss for those teams and also can be the best pick in a multiple game scenario for those teams. But when you put them in together, I mean, you're, you're sort of hedging. You want to get a little bit unique. You can make the decision to, to pick that game. Like I said a minute ago, if you're picking the Cowboys to go further, you, maybe you want to take a Tony Pollard. Maybe you want to play a Leonard Fournette on the, on the buck side or the other side. The other thing you can do is you can still play Lamb or Godwin with those teams winning, but then don't play, like basically fade or soft fade the opponent. So you play Godwin with the Cowboys kicker, you know, and you're saying, the Cowboys are going to lose and they're not going to have one of the top scoring skill players of the, of the losing teams. Which Remember, you're basically talking about the top two scoring players of the six losing teams. They could have, you know, a kicker who kicks a bunch of field goals, Brett Maher, you could play him, but then you can go play some of the other names that Sean just mentioned, DK Metcalf and Tyree kill as your guys that, also win a loss, are going to outscore, say, CD Lamb because you're picking the box to win. Being willing to make the pick in those toss-up games and soft fade or hard fade the loss side of that game
2: is a, a pretty surefire way to, to get a little bit more unique. And Ben, I think that's the perfect way to take us out. Good luck to everyone this weekend in all of your different tournaments. I know you and I are also playing some home leagues. The home leagues have a wide variety of different formats. Those we want to win for bragging rights and all of the fun that goes into them. Again, I, I just can't say enough about this postseason, can't say enough about how much fun it's been to conclude the year here, can't say enough about the Stealing Bananas community. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Make sure you get that subscription to Stealing Lines. We'd love to have you over at Rotovis using the coupon code rbradio 2023 for 10% on one year, Radio 2022 for 25% off one month. Subscribe to the feed, leave us a rating and review, check us out on YouTube, and then you may get to see in the background our new Stealing Bananas mascot, one tiny little black kitten named Onyx. Good luck, everybody, this is we'll talk to you
0: soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping